People always want to know what it's like to be me. How does it feel to see a dead body? Tell a family their loved one has been murdered. Talk to a rape victim. Catch a killer. And get them to confess. Hold on tight, my friends. Get ready for the journey. And welcome to Murder with Menina. Welcome to Murder with Menina. How are you, Colleen? I am good. I am good. <laughs> just making some summer plans and uh, yeah, just. Well, we hope everyone's enjoying Murder with Menina as we kind of delve into my cases and delve into open cases and shed light on open cases and try to solve some cases, all that stuff, right? That's our goal, right? And to make you a good detective in your life. In your own life. Be, in your uh, own life. I am uh, learning a lot from you, so I, if I'm still learning things from you, okay, so and let me, I've been I'll hanging quiz out you. with you every day for three years, then I feel like, and we're still friends. Charges. That's fantastic. So yeah, let me ask exactly. you: What is the most dangerous thing that you have on your person every single day? Phone, phone. That's what I'm trying to teach my kids. Right? I walk up to them sometimes. They're in class, you know, and their heads down. They, I just punch them in the side of the head, smack them in the side of the head. They never even see it coming. They're so dangerous, right? Remember that when you're out in parking lots and you're getting off your work in a dark parking lot and you're looking at your phone telling your boyfriend i'll be right home honey and somebody comes up and grabs you don't let that because a perpetrator yeah is looking to catch somebody off balance absolutely and how hard it wouldn't be very hard to catch people off balance would it well i told i told you my friend ann murphy she, she and i were in a she's a a retired fbi detective and she and i were in a shopping lot parking lot you know one of those big concrete multi-layer parking lots and there was a beautiful young girl walking to her car in the parking lot in the middle of the day by the way looking at her phone and Anne said just a minute I need to go tell her something and I said okay so she went and said to her hey you are making yourself a target for a Mm -hmm. perpetrator right now I mean you are completely absorbed in your phone a parking lot is a is a prime area where perpetrators hang out and troll for victims and Mm. you are making yourself a target right now never do that again never walk through a parking lot absorbed in your phone all by yourself safety first that's our all right that's the end of the podcast okay bye (laughs) thanks for joining us (laughs) okay all right so city of indianapolis i just learned this Host more conventions than any other city in the world. Did not know that really? until recently. Wow. But whatever. So the city of Indianapolis, uh, we have a lot of conventions and a, a large amount of events that happen. So, of course, we have a lot of security in those events. And one of the biggest weekends of the year happens in July, and it's Indiana Black Expo, which is a fantastic we- – I think it's two weeks – two-week thing, you know, just, oh, man, so many cool things. A lot of entertainers come in, college football teams come in, um, African-American professionals, like all of these fantastic events happen, right? And it's it's a two-week event, and it's fantastic. Probably two hundred to 300,000 extra people come to the city during that two-week period. On the weekends, it gets a little hairy. And let me paint the picture of the weekend. So, and one of the things is if you're, we're on the police department and I was on there for 25 years, every year I had to work Indiana Black Expo. Okay. So you couldn't, even if your days off fell on that weekend, sorry about you, you're working it. So every police officer is working that weekend. So huge event, hundreds of thousands of people, which makes it difficult for this case 
um, that I had. So here we are. It's Saturday evening. I'm up for the next murder, right? I'm on the bubble. We've talked about that before. I am up for the next murder. And I am pretty confident that I'm going to get get one, okay? So I've slept a lot in preparing myself for it. But we're getting into the wee hours of Sunday morning, Saturday, late Saturday night into Sunday morning. And what happens on the weekends during that, the two weekends of Indianapolis Expo, is that everybody goes downtown. They rig up their vehicles as fancy as you can get them with rims and stereos, and it's just craziness. It's bumper-to-bumper traffic, and really what it is is you're showing off your car, you're showing off your friends. It's a big, gigantic party, um, and so that's how that that's how the weekend kind of looks. So we're about 3 o'clock in the morning. I'm in the office and we get this crazy 911 um, call, and I hear dispatch comes over the radio and says, homicide, you know, be aware, I think I've got two people shot. But she's not able to give a lot of information about it, just two people shot. And, of course, the 911 operator is trying to get the location, right, because she's got to dispatch police officers. Of course, my ears perk up, and we're getting this, like, address, which is on the west side of Indianapolis, north of downtown. So the traffic's going to be a lot less. And we're getting some, uh, we're getting the information that it's out on the west side and I'm not moving because you know it could be a person shot doesn't mean they're going to die doesn't mean homicide needs to respond they could get shot in the arm whatever so they're sending officers over to the area and they cannot find anybody shot and the 911 operator is talking to one of the victims that's shot and he is trying to give his location and he's been shot he's in shock he cannot give his location officers go over to the area where they think he is based on some of the information and they can't find him, cannot find him, cannot find he's on the phone. Can, and he gave the original street, I think, as Martin Luther King. So we've got two um, streets that are named after, um, you know, um, famous people, Martin Luther King and Dr. Andrew J. Brown. But each street is on the opposite side of town. So dispatch did a fantastic job and said, man, if they're not on, you know, Martin Luther King, MLK, maybe they're on Dr. Andrew J. Brown. So officers on the other side of the city go over there and they find him. And while they're over there, the caller dies. He dies on the phone wow. with the 911 operator. Okay. They get there and they confirm that two people have been shot and both of them are dead. Okay, so now I'm like, oh, I've got a double homicide, Mm. right? I've got 300,000 people, 250, 300,000 extra people in the city. I'm stressed on the way to the scene, right? And I'm also stressed, too, because I'm hearing the location, and it's a good 10 minutes north of downtown. So there's not going to be as many people as far as, like, possible witnesses and people that saw what happened. Mm -hmm. So I get there. We're talking 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning, and I pull up. And there is this like rigged out um, convertible, old school convertible, beautiful with the rims and the stereo was still on. And there's two um, young men in the front seat. And this car is riddled with bullets. I mean, just riddled with bullets. And both of um, the driver and the passenger are both dead. And how how old were they? They look to be about in their 20s. Oh, young kids. And you could tell based on... Uh, the weekend and based on the way that their car that they probably had been downtown right Mm -hmm. so get crime lab and i'm not i'm not kidding you colleen it looked like something out of a movie scene because when i pulled up and it's probably a four lane street going both north and south there was nobody around nobody you couldn't hear a bird 
Antwerp. And there wasn't very many streetlights. Like, it's not a very well-lit street. And the houses kind of sit off the street. And there was nobody out there. Literally, there was a convertible with the side door open. Two young males shot up, blood everywhere. The rims literally still spinning on the car. Because, you know, those rims sometimes (gasps) spin. right. Right? And nobody. I mean, there was nobody to be found. There literally was like three police officers there. And I pull up and I'm like, it was just so surreal. It's like, how is this? Like, people didn't hear the shots or people aren't coming out of their house or like nobody's around. Like, I'd never been on a crime scene before in all of my days where, you know, we didn't have people, we didn't have the looky-loos, we like to call them, you know, coming out, trying to look and figure. We didn't even need to put crime scene tape up. Because there was nobody to kind of keep back. The scene was pretty secure. We could see that it was possibly a drive-by based on how the car was completely riddled with bullets. And as many times as the victims were shot. But I'm not, I'm not kidding you. It was just the most surreal. It just didn't look real to me. And I just remember thinking, what the? And I'm, and I'm stressed. I am stressed at this point. Because I'm like, there is nobody out here. I mean, there's no, like, who saw this? Who right. saw this? Where's the evidence going to come from? Where is the evidence? So the only thing that we have is, of course, I call Crime Lab like I always do. They come, and the bullets start north of the car. You know, so you can tell that it was a drive-by. They're trying to drive away um, to get away, and the car's just pulling up beside them, and they're just spraying it. I mean, literally just spraying this car. So I'm not at the scene very long. I figure out who um one of the i figure out who the victims are and they're brothers they're twin brothers oh okay twins. twin brothers oh, twin terrible. brothers were they identical so now, did you or identical? yeah they're identical twins oh, my yep goodness. and so i'm thinking oh god oh god and i got their id the coroner comes they're taking the body i get the i they i get the id out of their pockets i've got their cell phones one of the the one that died on the phone with the 911 operator still had the phone in his hand oh. so that becomes evidence who were they talking to before what were the text message the text message the 911 call is disturbing at best to listen to i mean it is disturbing to hear and the 911 operator did a great job of thinking okay we're not on mlk let's try dr andrew you know really just thinking cuz we cannot find these victims so the scene wraps up fairly quickly it's starting to get a little bit of daylight right i go back to the office and i'm doing a little bit of criminal history so i'll take their name and i'll take their id and i'll go back to our computers and I'll run criminal histories because now I'm, I get to do a profile on the victims, right? I have no witnesses. Probably, probably the only homicide that I had where I didn't transport anybody down to the office. I didn't transport any witnesses. I didn't have anybody to interview. It's a very unsettling feeling sure. because you're like, what the fuck am I, like, what the hell? So the only thing that I can do is start to learn a little bit about the victims, knowing that I'm going to have to go make notification to some poor mother or father, or grandmother, or whoever these guys live with, and say, both of them are gone, okay? So it's probably six or seven, Sunday morning, hotter than shit in July, right? Hotter than shit. Sun's coming up. I'm doing some basic research, and what's interesting um, is they don't have a lot. There aren't a lot of police reports. There's not the criminal history. They had some minor, minor, maybe marijuana. One of them had been arrested for minor marijuana, like nothing. And that's no good either, right? Because I'm not now, how am I going to develop a suspect? I don't even know what these guys, it doesn't appear that they're into anything, right? It doesn't, right. and I'm trying to get as much information as I can. So sun's coming up and I'm like, oh God, 
I've got to go and tell mom. Well, I chicken out a little bit and I decide that I'm going to have the chaplain. We have chaplains. And I don't usually take a chaplain with me very often. I just go and make the notification myself. But I thought, oh God, I need to take this beautiful Sunday morning. Uh, I get with the chaplain. I meet with him about a block away from where the house is. And I explain to the chaplain, this is what I have. I've got to go make notification. This is the address that they had on their driver's license. And, and this is where I think they live. And we pull up and it's probably about nine o'clock in the morning. And it's on the west side of town where Martin Luther King is, right? Mm-hmm. Where So they were, he was remembering you know, the big street where he lived. He didn't realize that he'd been shot on AJB, which is on the other side of town. Kind of makes a little bit, little bit of sense. So I meet the chaplain, I explain it. We go over there and we're walking up the steps. And I just remember just, I mean, just a sick feeling. And I can see the neighbors getting ready to go to church. And it's a primarily African-American neighborhood. And families are just getting walking out and they're just dressed in beautiful hats and beautiful dresses. And, and I just see people walking out of their homes, moving on with their life, getting ready to go to church. So I walk up the steps and I remember there was about four steps and, uh, um, uh, a young man opens the door and he, he's probably a little bit older than both of my victims. And he turns out to be the older brother. And I said, you know, this is detective Menina. Um, you know, who are you? Do you have two brothers? And I just remember him looking back and going, mom, mom, come here. And so mom comes running cause they're concerned, right? It's nine o'clock in the morning. Her boys are not home. Right. Mom, mom. And mom comes to the door. And I can't even, I can't even bring, I can't even get the words out, right? I can't even get the words out. And she looks at me and she goes, my boy. And I'm thinking to myself, fuck, both your boys, right? And I said, you know, are you the mother of so-and-so? And I said, I'm, I, I don't, I'm so sorry. Like, I'm so sorry. And I didn't even have to say it. And she falls to the ground. I remember the older son grabbing her. And right there, it's kind of done, right? Like I'm there to give the notification, but I'm also there to try to learn about them, right? Because I don't have anything. Oh, right. So I just remember the older son grabbing his mother and she is wailing. And I just remember looking out at the street and all of a sudden, those people that were getting into their vehicles to go to church kind of stop. It's so crazy, the things that you remember and and I don't know these people, but I can feel her pain. And I also remember, and I, and I've only I can only say this one time in my career. And believe me, I've seen I've been on scenes where I've seen people take their last breath. Like I've seen what that looks like. Mm-hmm. I literally saw the life just go out of mom. I literally I saw it in her eyes. I just and, and it's so unbelievably hard to kind of describe, but I just saw the life leave. And it's horrible to see the life leave of somebody and they're still alive, right? right. I've seen the oh, life so leave and they're dead, mm-hmm. but I saw it leave with her. So it is a very chaotic scene. People that were going to church are now coming up. Okay. And so there isn't anything I can do at that point. The chaplain's going to stay. I finally look at the brother and I say, can you come here for just a second? He had, he had taken his mother and put her on the couch. People from church were coming over. The house was filling up. And I just said, I, I need your help. I, I'm going to need your help. And he said, all right. And he was, he was calm. And I said, I don't, I don't know what happened. Your brothers were shot. I said, I don't know, but I'm going to need your help. And he said, okay. 
And I said, give me some time. Just give me some time. And the reason I said that is because I knew what he was going to do. He knows his twin brothers, their younger brothers. And I just looked at him and I said, just give me some time. I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back. So I leave because you're really just not going to get any information. You're just are not. You saying it's you, kind of, are you saying he was going to get street justice? Is that what yeah, you Yeah, I'm like, right, just he, give me. Okay. And I say that a lot to families. And it doesn't matter what color, what race, anything, social status. I always say, just give me some time because initially you just want to go out. And I also know, too, that if anybody's going to know what they were into or who possibly did it, it was him. And I knew that. And so I just said, give me some time. I said, I'm going to come back in a few hours. So I go back to the office. I'm kind of doing the files. I know the autopsy isn't going to be till the next morning, which is kind of difficult because you don't have the answers. A lot of times families will ask you how many times were they shot? Do you think they suffered? I don't have a lot. I was able to tell them when I went back that they were shot several times that I don't think they suffered, which was a lie. The one brother suffered. He suffered a lot, a long enough time to talk for about two and a half minutes on the 911 call to try to give the location of where he and his brother were. So I go back and I'm talking to the brother and I'm like, what, what happened? Like, what, what do you know? And he says, I don't know anything, but I'm going to find out. And I said, okay. I said, this vehicle, I said, he goes, they just got that vehicle. And I said, okay, do they work? And he said, no. And I said, okay. So I'm trying to paint a picture of how did they get this vehicle this you know this vehicle was a nice ass vehicle and he said I'll find out I'll find out I'll find out and I said okay give me time <laughs> right so at that point in time because I have no witnesses the autopsy isn't until the next morning he's I'm gonna let him do what he needs to do right and it's kind of a fine line right I can go and interview go try to find his friends, go try to find more family, but they're all distraught. And he is going to get information, way more information than I'm going to get. And he's going to get it a lot quicker. Right. And he's the most motivated out of anyone on the planet. So I just decide, okay, I'm going to go. And now we're talking two or three in the afternoon. I'm going to go home and and sleep for a little bit. And I'm going to, and I gave him my cell number. I never would give the pager. And I think I said this before, like a lot of detectives will give the pager number. Well, they used to. Page. Yeah. (laughs) Used to give the pager. Oh God, I'm I'm dating my ass. But, or they'll give them their office number. I don't do that. I give them my direct cell number because when people decide that they are going to call the police, you better freaking answer the phone because by the time they have to leave a message or wait, for your callback, they've already decided, nah, we're not going to tell you. So you got to be available. They change their minds. So, mm-hmm. Oh, they change their minds. So I go home and I catch a few hours of sleep and I go back. I go back later that night. Mom is a little bit calmer, but mom is numb. I don't know that I ever have another conversation with mom until a few days later when I go to the funeral. But brother tells me that uh, the two younger guys came home probably three days before um, the first week in a black expo with that car. So I'm thinking, okay, they came home Thursday with that car. Do you know how they got that car? He's like, I don't really know. And I said, well, they don't have jobs. You know, he said, no, they don't have jobs. And I said, so where did they come up with that kind of cash? And he's like, I don't know. And he's hesitant to tell me. And it really, at the end of the day, I don't think he knew. I think he knew that they probably did something that they weren't supposed to do, but he didn't really know like where they got the money. And I said, I need to figure that out. Like I need to figure out because I don't have anything in this case. And at that point in time, the streets being a little bit quiet. And one of the things that handcuffed me a little bit was the fact that they were murdered on the opposite side of town of where they lived. That makes it hard. Mm. If they were murdered in their own hood, 
I would have a lot of information. But number one, nobody came out of their street, uh, out of their homes after the car was shot up. Nobody came out. I went and canvassed the area, um, you know, that afternoon, and no, they didn't even hear the shots. <gasps> nobody heard the shots. Wow. Like, that's how far the houses were sitting off the street. So, I mean, that side of town, there was nothing good on that side of town for me at all, except that that's where the crime scene was. I got the shell casings. You know, I knew that it was a high-powered rifle. So... I give him some more time and I kind of let him work it. Well, that's turning into a couple days, right? And it's not moving really quickly. It's not moving really quickly. And he's on the fence with me. He doesn't quite know. He he hasn't quite figured out what he's going to do. Is he going to leave it to me to do it? Or is he going to do it? Or now we've got more family members coming. I mean, they they had a a large family. So all of these kind of dynamics, but I decided, you know, and it's, it's, you know, however you want to work your case is how you're going to work your case. But I just said, you know what? I'm going to step back. I'm going to step back. There's no urgency right now because there's there's nobody to talk to. I need to wait. So a few days later comes and the funeral. And I go to the funeral. I go to the funeral. It's it's crazy because a lot of times I'll go to the funeral um, for a couple reasons. I'll go because you get a shitload of information. Um, two, I'd heard that the, that the funeral was going to be quite large and um, there was going to be extra security there. A lot of times um, they'll hire police officers because if it's a gang thing or a rival thing, they show up at the freaking funeral and it goes nuts. So for that, but I really went because I couldn't get past seeing the life go out of mom. I couldn't get past it. Like it just bothered me. I could not go past. It. And I thought, Oh my God, I really have got to figure this out. Like I re- like really affected me. The sun was beating down on it. It was this beautiful Sunday morning. All these beautiful people are getting in their cars to go to church. And I am delivering the worst news that you could ever give to a mother. I'm sorry. Not only did one of your sons die, the other one did too. Both your twin babies. So it just affected me in a way that I, I can't even really adequately describe. But sure. so I go to the funeral, I get a little bit of information. And mind you, it's an uncomfortable situation because a lot of people don't like the police at the funeral. What am I doing there? I absolutely stood out at that funeral. I mean, I absolutely did. You knew I was the detective. Were you in uniform? Um, you don't wear I a was uniform just a, as a homicide. No, I was just in, in, yeah, I was in a suit, you know, a pantsuit type of thing. Uh, I don't really get a lot of information, but I go by and I go through the line and I tell mom, I'm sorry, and then I'm going to continue to work it. And she's numb. I don't even, you know, she's numb. And then later on, the brother calls me and he said, I want you to meet with you. And I said, okay, I'll meet you wherever you want. So we go meet, um, not too far from his house. And he says that what he's hearing, and he doesn't know for sure, what he's hearing is that um, they were involved in, in stealing someone's money. And I said, who? Because what is that going to show me? That's going to that's going to give motive. me what it's motive? Gonna, it's going to give me motive. Well, it's going to be motive, and it's going to possibly give me a suspect. Who did they rob? If they right. did that, right? Where did they get the money? Where did they steal it? Who are? And he doesn't really know. And I said, okay, well, what I need for you to do is I need for you to get permission from mom for me to search their rooms. And that's not an easy. That's not because that is a very very thin and shaky line. Because you go and you ask a victim's family, hey, I need to look in your son's room because I need to figure out what they did that may have caused this. And how do you say that? Like without offending somebody or without being insensitive or disrespectful. And I just was very honest with the brother and I said, look, 
I don't, you know, I don't know. I didn't know your brothers. I know that they haven't been arrested a lot. I don't care. What I care about is why this happened. And I need to get in their rooms and I need to find out. I need to just search because he really, and I don't think really, the brother was a few years older and he was working. So I feel like almost he was kind of on a different path. And they all lived with mom, but she was, she lived in this beautiful house, this Hmm. beautiful kind of Victorian style house. But he was kind of on a different path. So convincing him, and it took him a minute, and I said, I really need for you to get permission. I'm going to need for her to sign this. I said, if you don't, then I'm going to have to go get a search warrant. And I'm pretty sure a judge will give me a search warrant to go in and look. He says, all right, let me work on it. Eventually, he gives me, mom gives permission. Didn't go over great. I am now the enemy, right? I'm at the funeral saying, mom, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to help you. And now I'm the enemy, right? Because I flipped it. I've got to figure out what they did that mm-hmm. got them killed. Right. 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 And it's such a fine line. So I get permission. I go in and I search their room and I find a duffel bag. And that makes sense, right? Like they have got duffel bags. And I went and I showed the brother and I said, do you recognize this duffel bag? And he said, no, I don't recognize it. Are you sure? Can you go and you show mom? Does she recognize this duffel bag? Doesn't recognize the duffel bag. And I said, fuck, could this be the duffel bag of the money that maybe they took, mm, right? right. It's, now I'm starting to, de- I, I need to develop a theory. I need to develop a road to go down, right? Like I'm roadless at this point. So they have said that, nope, the duffel bag is no good. It's not theirs. And I said, okay, I'm going to take it. And I take it outside and in there is a little piece of paper and it's got the first name. Um, and I'm not going to use the real name, but the first name, it just has a name. Okay. And I go back and I said, Hey, do you know who this is? The first name? And he said, ah, maybe. And I said, well, what side of town does he live on? And he said, God, I think he lives out East. Well, out East is where he, they were shot. Okay. Mm. They live on the West side out East. So he says, well, if it's who I think it is, I don't know the address, but I think I might know the street and he drives a white Ford. And I said, okay. So I go over there with a couple other detectives and I said, look, I'm looking for a white Ford. I don't know which street it's on, but it's probably, you know, these 10 streets. We find the white Ford. I kind of sit outside. I'm in an unmarked car um, and I see a gentleman eventually. Now we're talking three hours, right? Right. I've been sitting out. Wow. <laughs> and just I you see or a, you and someone else? No, just me. I, no, I lost my, my help. They're like, eh, call us if you need us. So I'm sitting out there and I see um, a subject come out of the house and get into the white car. And so I call uniform officers and I said, hey, follow this guy and, and, and pull him over when he doesn't use his turn signal, right? Give me a stopping charge. So they pull him over and I stop him. And I interview him and I get his name, right? We run the plate. I get his name. I get his location, blah, blah, blah. And I go up there and I interview him. And I said, hey, I said, uh, um, did you know, did you hear about what happened over Black Expo weekend? Oh, yeah, the two dudes that died. Yeah, yeah, do you know them? He was like, yeah, I know them. They were friends of mine. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, that kind of gave a twist because brother said that he knew them, but didn't say if they were friends or enemies. Just said, yeah, I think I've heard the name and I think I've been over there. And so he's very forthcoming. He's very forthcoming. He says, yeah, I knew them. They were my friends. And I was like, oh. Okay. And I said, uh, so what can you tell me? He can't really tell me anything other than that's what he heard. I kind of get this weird vibe off of him a little bit. And I was like, I don't like, I don't like the way this guy's feeling. He's real arrogant, but there's anything I can do. I don't have anything. 
right? I've interviewed him, right? blah, blah, blah. So we stay off of him, and I get undercover units to start paying attention to him. And what I did is that point is I flagged him. And what that means is I put his name in the computer, which means that if he's ever stopped by anybody, by any police officer in the city of Indianapolis or anybody, I will get notified that they've got him stopped for whatever reason. A couple weeks goes by, they stop him, and they stop him with a large amount of marijuana and cash, in his car. And the narcotics people were actually aware of him. And I didn't know that until I flagged him. But they knew that he was pretty deep into the game and that he ran uh, marijuana a lot. And he had had priors for that. So I knew he was in the dope game. So they get him stopped and they get him arrested. And they arrest him for all that and stuff. It, and well, is that- he the same age as the victims? He's a, yeah, he's about, well, no, he's a little bit older, but not much. Okay. About, about the same age as the older brother. Okay. So get him stopped. He's arrested or whatever. I go back down and I interview him again and he doesn't give me anything. And I'm like, okay. But he's not in jail for very long because something happened with that case and he got out. So he's out. So then another couple weeks goes by and he decides he's going to make a police report. Okay. Because his home has been burglarized. And I thought, Hmm. I get it's flagged and I get an email that says, hey, your boy made a police report and I'm reading the police report and he has made a police report that he's been burglarized and that a gun had been taken from his home. Hmm. So I'm like, hmm. So I go back over there and he tells me that his home had been burglarized and it had been burglarized a couple weeks ago. And I said, well, why did you wait? And he said, I don't know. I don't know. I just thought I I don't want my handgun out there on the street and I get accused of something. And I said, okay, so now it's starting to come together. His house had been burglarized because he shows me where they had broken in. There was a, um, like a closet, it was like a regular closet door with a handle, but it had had a lock on it and they had kicked it open. So right then and there, and now I know that these guys didn't rob them, they burglarized them, right? And you know the difference between a robbery and a burglary, right? So I w- I'm assuming robbery is an attack and uh, there is physical violence. And burglary is someone goes into the house and it Absolutely, it's not, yeah, a threat, right? The person may not be there. Yeah, they're not. Absolutely. Wow, that's pretty good. Yeah, so robbery's a threat of force. So they've burglarized. So now it's starting to come together a little bit that the house, they burglarized the house of this money. And he just decided, and they took the gun, right? And what's interesting is both my victims, they didn't have a handgun on them that night, okay? So now I'm like, okay, all right, here's motive. Here's my number one suspect, right? And he just wants to report the gun, but he's not telling me. And I said, well, did... Did anything else get taken? Just the gun? Did any money get taken? And he said, no, no money got taken. And I'm like, okay, he's full of shit. And now we're working him a little bit. And I leave. And we're working him a little bit. And I'm letting the undercover officers go. So long story short, they end up um, working with a CI, confidential informant that was arrested. And they're trying to get in with this guy. And um, over uh, a t- wiretap, they got him to talk a little bit about the murders. And how he committed them. And the deal was this. It was as simple as this. These guys go over. My victims go over and burgle. They're friends. 
right? They'd even bought weed from this guy before. They knew he had a large amount of money. My two victims go over there and they burglarize him when they know he's not home. They take the money, they go and buy this car, and then they drive around downtown showing off this car. And they had been driving it for, like, they bought the car on Thursday. The big Saturday night show off your car thing is Saturday night. But Thursday and Friday and Saturday during the day, they're driving around with this brand new car with the rims and pretty much just showing it off, right? Showing it off. And that pissed so him he, off. So he knew he they knew did that it. that they How did, did it? How did he know that they did it? Yep. He, well, he just, I, he never he just said, two and two but together. he just, he was, he was furious because they kept riding by his house. They went and showed it to him. I mean, like just stupid stupid stuff and I, and it's just it's crazy to me that that's what they did right but it's it's just this whole thing was just nuts so once it finally got to the point where we could make an arrest um we we arrested him and um you know he's sitting in jail and for whatever reason um, the judge let him out for, I don't know what it was for. I think it was for like a funeral or something. Let him out. And while he was out, somebody killed him. <gasps> wow. <laughs> you think it was the that brother? Nuts? No, I don't think it was the brother. I didn't catch, and he wasn't killed here. He wasn't killed here. He wasn't killed here. I think he was killed in like, I don't know, Louisville or something. Wow. Like yeah. So, um, but what, you know, but Chris, I just, have a question. Let's say, you know, he wasn't killed and what evidence did you have that would have been able to convict right? him? It was going to be, so the, we had the wiretap, right? right? It was all, it was circum, it really wasn't enough because he doesn't specifically say that he killed, like he didn't name him. He just said, I shot him up. I shot him up. So if we had gone to court with that, I'm not sure that we would have won. I know the prosecutor, when I presented the case, wasn't thrilled with it. It was a circumstantial case at best. We were able to show motive, but we didn't have any evidence. I never found the gun when we went and did a search warrant of his house. I never found the murder weapon, so I had no murder weapon. Plus the duffel bag. Um, Could you tie it to him other than his name was in the bag? I couldn't tie it to him. That's it. So that's all like, and it wasn't like his full name. It didn't have right. his address. It was his first name. Like it, it was very, very circumstantial at mm. best, at best. And unfortunately, in so, those cases are really, really frustrating. And, and it's weird that, you know, it, cases, with circumstantial cases, the prosecutors at the time will, you know, sometimes go ahead and say, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll file. And then a lot of times they'll come back and say, look, we don't really think that we're going to win. And I don't know if that would have happened eventually. Like you just don't know how that's going to work out. But I mean, what, a, what it like, just right. stupid, right? Like why, why would, would they, they do that? Flaunt and it. then just show it off. Absolutely got him killed because they flaunted it. Absolutely got him killed because they flaunted it. They weren't really in the game. They didn't sell dope. They may have smoked some marijuana here and there, but they were not in the game. They were not in the game. It was quick money. It was fast money for a major, major weekend that happens. One of the bigger, well, probably the biggest weekend in Indianapolis throughout the year is that weekend. And it is all about showing off your ride, showing off your girl, being downtown, being seen, all of those things. I mean... So, you know, that's what got him killed. So wow. crazy. And did you say right? how old, it's, how it's old just, were the twins? I don't know if you said. They were in oh, 20s, 20s, oh. early 20s, young 20s, you know. And so it's just it's just heartbreaking, right? Because mom, I'll just never, I'll never forget the look on mom's face. I'll never forget it. Mm. Never forget it. 
you know, worst part of the job. And, and then just to have to go back and, and explain to her why it happened. Oh, how did, no that, either. how did that go? Uh, it just, I didn't have to do it. Brother did it for me. You know, it's just, it's this the pain and agony will never go away, you know, and, and they, you know, they did something bad and, and, and something bad happened to them, but man, the pain and the, and the amount of people it affects for their mistake of doing that is just yeah, so it's great. Such a ripple effect. It's so great. It doesn't make it, it doesn't make it any better at all. Um, and to hear that 911 call of the brother dying and, and trying to tell, trying to get help and he doesn't know where he is and literally hearing him die on the 911 call. I think that if we were able to play that in court, you know, that would have been um, moving. Mm-hmm. Would you have you been know, able but, to? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, we would have been able to use it. Yeah. And I don't, but I don't think at the end of the day that I, I, I don't even know if I would have gotten it. Right. Because it's, ty- it's hard, it's to, hard tell. to tie it's hard to, to tell. the... To the crime, mm-hmm. to the to the suspect, and, and, and unfortunately, juries, you know, when the victims do things, they get them in these situations. Mm. You know, they're not as empathetic about it. Sure, you know, and you try to explain the ripple effect, like you said, and how it affects so many people, and you know that family. But I just, I'll never forget telling mom that she lost both her boys. Awful. I'll never forget that. I'll just oh, never even forget when you the just scene. Told me, even it, when you just described it, I literally, as yeah. a mother. And literally got sick to my yeah. stomach. It's just, it's yeah. so terrible, so sad. You know, and I try to tell the young people that I teach every day, make good decisions, you know, just try to make good decisions and, and put yourself in, in situations where you have a, a better chance of, of of not becoming a victim of a crime than, than you know, it's just, you just never know. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the sad story, but uh, just part of the job and, uh, yeah, bummer, feel bad about yeah, it. Yeah, but so. interesting that you, how you found the suspect how long did it take by the way from the murder to the it took that case i I mean it probably five weeks it wasn't a quick one it wasn't a quick one you know i knew that when you don't have any witnesses and you don't have a road to go down you got to find that road and sometimes that takes sure that that makes sense yeah all right guys well again stay safe stay alert so you can be a good detective in your own life we'll see you next time If you have a cold case you'd like Chris to review, submit it through our website at murderwithmenina.com and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Murder with Menina and Twitter at Murder W. Menina. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode of Murder with Menina.